Namaste everyone. Today I'm incredibly glad to bring in front of you a person I came across recently in my own life because I was doing a lot of self-investigation. I'm always fascinated by how much of an idiot I am, yet I'm still so capable of greatness. <laughs> and that is all of us. And um, this is ancient science that I'm trying to study since a while in order to understand myself better. Now, I'm not taking the name of that subject simply because as soon as you take its name, people get biased. They think it's about fortune telling. They think it's about future prediction. But in reality, it goes so much deeper than that. It's a study of time. It's a study of your soul's journey through all the different times that it has taken form. So this is a lovely science. And I would like you to hear this conversation to understand how deep it goes, as well as how you can start using it in your own life to understand yourself better so that you can navigate through this human experience better. The gentleman I'm bringing in front of you today is Vic Dikara, and I came across him two, two and a half months ago. He has some really fascinating videos on YouTube, which have these beautiful stories that come from our own scriptures, such as the Srimad Bhagavatam and other such Vedic texts. And he originally was a punk rocker in the United States, but somehow life brought him in touch with our side of culture and history. And since 1988, he has been studying Jyotish as well as all our scriptures and his knowledge trove is really, really deep. That's why all his books on Amazon are four and a half stars and above. And uh, there are some lovely, lovely stories over there, such as his one book is on the story of Shiva and Sati. Then there's a book on Nakshatras, which is the authentic heart of Vedic astrology. Because a lot of us think Kundalis or Vedic astrology like Jyotish has to do with you know planets like Shani and Rahu and how scary they are and the different houses they are in but it goes much much beyond that and there's so much more that we are not aware of so hopefully this conversation is a little enlightening so along with his lovely books he has these lovely videos on YouTube if you enjoy the conversation definitely check them out and drop a comment over there that Sarhad sent you over there uh, because I'm really grateful for the time which he took out so that we could have this conversation and so that then I could share it on with you guys. So go ahead, enjoy the chat. Um, I think when you look at a tree, you just you, you only see the tree. But And then you ask, how does the tree make these fruits or how does the leaves? But th there's all the roots that we don't know about which are under the ground. Mm -hmm. So I can tell you about the tree, but we can't talk about my roots because those are in previous lifetimes. Mm, so mm. we can't, I don't know any more specifics to tell you about that, but um, you can under, you can infer the nature of the roots based on the quality of the tree. But in this mm -hmm. lifetime, you, I get, you know, just once since birth, I just didn't feel like normal. <laughs> or, you know, I just didn't feel like um, the rest of the people, just in any way. Mm. <laughs> and then so that gradually got me into like doing things that are weird so like instead of playing sports like a proper boy would do i got into doing freestyle stuff like bmx freestyle mm -hmm. or skateboarding just like of course you're going to do sports because you're like a 12 year old boy but like that would be the sport that i would get into mm. and then um from as a result of that, I got into like countercultural, uh, just countercultural scene in general because like 
BMX freestyle is associated with skateboarding. Skateboarding is associated with punk. So then I started listening to these bands and, and because I just felt weird since I was born, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked the feeling, the, the message, the lyrics and everything that's in this kind of punk music. And then that got me into wanting to be a musician. Hmm. Which again is just like with the root for that is is probably super deep. Like even back further than that, my parents just started off teaching me guitar when I, uh, piano when I was like eight or something. Yeah. But anyway, I then I did that and I I started to get into like hardcore punk, which is like like metal punk. Like you know, it's like a cross between like Slayer and I don't know. It's like Motorhead kind of music, like hard hard hardcore punk not just like not pop punk or not like happy punk mm. and uh there was a band in there called the chromags you'd probably really like them actually okay <laughs> yeah they, well they, there's this one record that that is really good it's called age of quarrel which is called okay. it, it's them. a translation of Kali Yuga. okay yeah so like the whole theme of the record is Kali Yuga. okay and the band the band is just so it's just it's like a very masculine mm-hmm. in like a really crisp way like just it's a really good record i recommend mm-hmm. it um and these guys were into krishna they went okay. to Hari krishna like they because of because they grew up on the streets in new york so they were getting free food from the Hari krishnas in the park in thompson square park so they got exposed to krishna mm. consciousness iskan they got exposed to all that stuff mm. and they brought that into their music and for me that was just like oh my god this is so interesting this is what uh, this is really interesting so i got into it because of being in punk okay okay yeah i saw that even uh, you for example got associated uh, or i think some of your writings were to do with the wonderful as well as the bad things of iskon or something to do with that and there is actually a, a very elderly gentleman who became a friend of mine recently um and he uh, is an Indian, but he had been uh, moved to Australia when they were very, very young. And then over there, he discovered like Krishna consciousness and read the Gita. And he is also like a seeker. So, you know, uh, he was like, ultimately, this is where everything's at. I've been looking in all the wrong places. Yeah. And then he moved to Vrindavan over here. And uh, then he was working over there uh, to the point where he started rising through the hierarchy of the organization. But then he came to know what exactly is going on inside and uh, he didn't like it. And he's actually written a lot to try to expose them. And uh, and then, you know, there was a lot of Tantra, which was done on him. People didn't like what he was doing. Mm. And because of that, he suffers medically a little bit even today. But uh, he's a amazing guy. He's um, around 60 or maybe late 50s. I wonder if and I know him. Uh, his good name is uh, Dr. K.C. Bhattacharya. Dr. K.C. Bhattacharya. He was uh, acting as a uh, this thing. Um, something to do with the temple. I, I don't know what the name of that position is, but something to do with that. And he was also like a homeopathic doctor over there. Huh. So, so he was there for like, I think, 20 or maybe 25 years. And then he had his uh, child also over there. He got married again. But uh, then once uh, he came to know so deeply what is going on, he just uh, left it all because he's also very aware of geopolitics. 
you know and when he came to know especially what they had done with this particular organization he couldn't uh, stand it so he fought back um as well as then he had to remove himself and his family for because they actually even ended up killing one of his own friends they hmm. burnt burnt him up you know in his room so and when i heard all of this like i thought i already had some level of you know awareness when it comes to geopolitics and stuff like that but the stuff i came to know from him was even for me just a year back so far out but just within a year you know uh, the inflow of all that kind of information from so many other directions has increased to a point that it is all connecting it's all making sense and you might be interested in knowing there's this very young uh, indian boy i don't know if you're aware of him abhigya anand yeah i know yes so uh, even on his youtube channel's description if you would go um his parents i think manage everything for him they've written over there that you know for those of you who think we are associated with this con we are not associated at all because it's run by xyz kind of people and we have nothing to do with them and so it's coming out even now in the open very very slowly yeah. you know but uh, it's crazy what's going on in the world like what the maya shows us versus what the thing is within it's crazy yeah it's it's actually really intense it's intensely sad actually yeah it's intensely sad Yeah. Yeah, I did. I wrote a mem- a memoir about that period of my life where I was st- still doing punk rock music but also uh, living as a brahmachari at the same time. Yeah, which is a very conflicting lifestyle set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could say. <laughs> Crazy. All right. So, I've got a bunch of questions for you. All right. Sure. um and let's just dive into the meat of uh, our conversation because um, uh, hopefully the team will like produce it in a way where you know there'll be an introduction also given to you because i came across your books and i saw that they are so highly rated so that's really amazing i would love to myself check out uh, some of them and um also the you know i wasn't surprised about the music thing because i always saw your backdrop having either the sitar or the veena oh, or they. something behind <laughs> So you know the first time I googled you, I was like uh, Vic Dicar, and it shows a punk rock like bass guitarist in this. I was like, doesn't match with you know what you've been doing on YouTube. But then uh, yesterday when I actually went deeper, I was like, wow, it's it's the same uh, you know gentleman, and that must have been an amazing journey, and that's really really great, you know. So you know that I asked you in the email that I sent you that this conversation I wanted to have. to re- to remove the kind of misconceptions that people have about astrology because in my opinion um it's it's sad that within india itself uh, everybody's understanding of it is quite limited and it's mostly to do with you know fortune telling and future prediction and uh, it has a lot of association with superstition now unfortunately because society has moved towards you know being science based and uh, but like i feel that modern science is just discovering what a lot of our shastras have like always laid out from you know eons hmm. so my first question to you is going to start off from here only that how is astrology not just about future prediction and fortune telling well i think if we have to try to i think the best way to answer that question is to even ask how could it possibly even be able to do fortune telling or predict the future mm-hmm. and if you can figure out how it's possible to predict the future 
then you could see what else is possible. So the reason why you can predict the future is because every event is connected to every other event. Hmm. So uh, like everything is a cause from an effect. I mean, everything is an effect from a cause, and then the effect Hmm. becomes another cause. Hmm. So that's why knowing the position and velocity of a ball in the present moment, you can predict where the ball will be three seconds from now, right? We do this all the time if you play baseball or something, or if you throw a ball to somebody, they know how to catch it because Mm. their brain looks at the the direction the ball is going and the speed that it's going, and they know where to put their hand to catch the ball in the future. So that's because of information. And you can also backtrack. You can say, well, the ball's here now, and it's going this direction at this speed, so it must have been there before, right? Mm. So it's because the present, the past, and the future aren't three separate things. There's just one thing, which is experience, and it has Mm. these three sides to it. It's the main experience, and then the thing which generated it, and the thing that gets it generated by it. Hmm. The thing that gets generated by experience is the future, and the thing that generated the experience is the past, and then the present. And because of this, you can know, if you know one of those three, then you can infer about the other two. Then yeah. where astrology comes into that is, it's astrology is the universe itself explaining to you what the present, what the moment is. So it's like a clock. Like one of the misconceptions about astrology is that Jupiter's going to do something to me. Hmm. Or Saturn's going to do something to me. And and when I was growing up, I used to watch Carl Sagan uh, Cosmos series. I loved hmm. it. I loved that guy. Hmm. And the, he had one episode where he like debunked astrology. And he said, you know, the people that believe in astrology, they think that Saturn has an effect on them. Hmm. What kind of effect does Saturn have on you? What is it? It must be, if it has an effect, it must be measurable. Let's measure it. Is it the gravity from Saturn? Is it the rays from Saturn? Is it the light from Saturn? The amount of mm. light that you get from Saturn is less than the amount of light that you get from a candle that's at the end of the hallway. You know, and he did stuff like that. And actually, this is part of the reason why astrology is thought of as superstitious because most people that are into astrology are superstitious. Mm. And they don't, have a, they don't have a scientific or rational approach to it. They think Saturn is affecting me. The gravity waves from the moon are causing me to X, Y, Z. The astrology is not, planets in the sky are not causing anything to happen any more than the hands on my clock are causing the time of day. Mm. The hands of the clock are telling us it's this time right now. But they're measuring something else. So similarly, the universe is this big clockwork of stuff that's going on, and it has a face to it. All the gears of the universe have a face, a clock face. And that face is in outer space. You see the planets moving and they move through these zones, just like our clock has these zones on it. This is the mm-hmm. one o'clock zone, two o'clock zone. The planets move through these zones, but and these zones have meaning based on, vi- on simple visual things, like this planet looks this way, it moves this way. This area of the sky is over here and it's not over there. It's not under the ground, it's above the ground. It's over here where the sun rises, it's where the sun sets, mm. et cetera. It's west, it's east. And because of that stuff, the, this clock face has meaning to it. So the movement of the planets causes the causes time, really, to move forward. 
Mm. And, and the configuration of planets at any given particular point in time describe to you the basic nature of that moment in time. Mm. So by looking at the planets, if you know how to read that, just like you have to know how to, my daughter had to learn how to read a clock in first grade. It's, just, it's not just obvious. So similarly, you have to learn how to read the sky. But once you know how to read the sky, you can see uh, this this particular time has this given nature. I bet you if I fast forward it, it will turn into this. Or if I rewind it, it will come from that. And with astrology, you can actually fast forward and rewind the configuration of planets to see what the other timestamps look like. Hmm. So it's not like, see, this is one of the books that I wrote was The Beautifully Rational Philosophy of Astrology. Yeah, It's a rational philosophy. This is the kind of thing that I that I go into there. It's not based on a hocus pocus that somehow I'm this guy who has mystic powers so I can see the future. Hmm. Actually, this is in Bhagavatam when, well, this is a funny part in Bhagavatam when Vasudev, Krishna's real father, when he sent Krishna to, to Vrindavan and, and then he told Nanda, be careful. Uh, people are going to come and try to kill him. Hmm. And Nanda thought, well, are you crazy? He's just a baby. But then when people came to kill him, he thought, oh, my God, this guy's a sage. This guy's a sage. He's a sadhu. How did he know that the future? Hmm. But Vasudev laughed and thought it's funny because it's, it's not, he wasn't predicting the future. He was just rationally figuring out the course of events. Hmm. Like, just making sense out of things. So what, what people think is magic and what people think is mystical stuff, it's just intellect just working in a way that most people don't understand, like the ability to read astrology, to read the sky. It's not magic. It's not mysticism. It's intellect, the same kind of intellect that it takes to read English. It's just that it's different. It's a different language and people aren't educated in how to learn and how to read it. So just to touch upon this itself, uh, like I wrote down a couple of things, but the question which is coming to me right now is that, and I believe recently you've also kind of made a video on this about uh, free will, you know, Uh, but all of us uh, as humans being free willed individuals or organisms or creatures or sentient beings, etc. And uh, since we are talking about the effect of these planets, like how exactly do they impact a human being? So the distinction which we should make over here, is it that, uh, that the planets basically define the moments in time? And then obviously the humans with their free will acting within that time are going to be affected because of the way the time is functioning. And that's how it affects them. Yeah. So it's not, a, it's not a direct impact. It's, a, it's like because it's impacting the time which is operating. Uh, that time is affecting the individuals in different, different ways. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah the, the configuration of planets actually describes the time. Hmm. It's not impacting anything. It's just a description. It's a convenient thing that the universe was set up. Hmm. Brahma sets up the universe in such a way that you can read it. Hmm. But it's not the mechanism that drives events is karma. It's not astrology. Karma is the mechanism that that makes effects come out of causes, but the astrology is like a clock face on karma. Hmm. And then the question of free will is really great, great one to bring up. So people will generally have this kind of dichotomy or dilemma, like, should I believe in astrology or should I believe in free will? Should I believe in destiny or should I believe that I have control over my life? 
which is a false dilemma. Hmm. So I, here's an analogy that I haven't given in a while, but I like if you walk up to a bus stop and you just slap somebody in the face, hmm. you're going to get like in trouble for that, right? Mm-hmm. Whether the whether the person turns around and slaps you back, whether they call the police, whether they hate you, so you're going to get some negative effect from that. So you can use your free will to say, I'm going to do anything I want. I'm going to slap this person. But after you slap the person, you've generated some repercussions for yourself. Hmm. So it's a false dichotomy to think that will and karma are two different things. Will is actually what generates karma. Mm. And the karma has its repercussions. So we make a choice to do something, but that's we're responsible for that choice. We're responsible for every choice that we make, everything that we do. So it comes, the effects of what we do come back to us. That's unavoidable. Mm. You get the effects of it. That's what feels like destiny or fate. Mm. So it's the will that generates the fate. And then when you also then, when the stuff is happening back to you, you also still have your your will. How should I, what should I do about this? How should I deal with this? How should I react to this? How will you react this time compared to last time how you acted? And can I say one more thing? Yes, for sure. That's really interesting. This is what makes another really big misconception about astrology is like, some people think that, hey, this guy's an astrologer. He should be able to tell me like some incredibly specific thing that they want to know, hmm. right? But, but I can't, like, give me a break. Like, if you understand, like, even if I read you a poem, what does it mean? In, in Say, like I said, like, astrology is like English, it's a language. Well, if hmm. I read you a poem, like, what does it mean? It's up to you. It means some, who knows, there's some stuff about it. Same thing, astrology is just a symbolism of a language that's describing the nature of karma at a given moment, I don't know exactly what it means. And that is actually not a flaw or a mistake. Hmm. It's because the karma of what's going to happen to me, for example, because of my previous deeds, it's not so rigid that I can't continue to interact with it with my will. Hmm. It has, it has, within a certain boundary, I can adjust it. You know, so uh, it's actually sometimes people say, okay, let's do a test for astrology and see if it works or not. Let's see if you can predict what age I got chicken pox. <laughs> okay, maybe I can, maybe I can. It's a difficult thing. It's really difficult to do that. You know? yeah. It's not really going to prove whether or not astrology is valid or invalid. If I can prove when you got chicken pox, it's just going to prove if I got the answer right or not. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe and, I wasn't people, lucky. Maybe it's people, too complicated. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And people would normally, you know, base their entire judgment of astrology based on whether this one person can answer this one question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are so silly, really. People will be like, oh, I, re- I read my heart in the West. They're like, they'll get their horoscope out of a newspaper, probably in India too. Get your horoscope out of a newspaper. They're like, they, the one day that they checked their horoscope, it was like spot on for them. And they're like, that's it. I'm a believer. I love astrology. Yeah. Yeah. Or the way they did it, they checked it, they were depressed, they wanted to check their astrology, they checked it, it made no sense to them, and they're like, this is total garbage. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how we are. We're very silly. We just evaluate things really superficially, whether it's astrology yeah. or anything. And and I and I found, you know, these things are really interesting, which you mentioned. One about time and second about uh, karma. Because um 
over the past like one year the kind of uh, studies that i've been doing so like again i don't have any level of proficiency when it comes to the understanding but i came across you know this concept which you mentioned that you know people categorize past present and future as three different things but they're all part of the same experience as you mentioned and that's what even i realized because you know if you study time a little bit they talk about time not being sequential it's not a sequential thing it's uh, simultaneous um and uh, that is something which kind of blew my mind you know because we are so conditioned to work uh, ever since you know the calendars and all came into a uh, place that uh, this is you know ahead and this was behind but it's not it's all part of the same experience as you said mm. and um, this is something which you know for whoever's listening also i would encourage them to study about time being circular compared to you know being sequential and as if uh, there are steps going ahead because it's actually going nowhere if you think about it you know and the second thing about uh, karma which you mentioned so again uh, these there are a lot of different schools of thought which are out there right now and i and i remember you had uh, i saw some comment of yours um somebody was talking about something and you were like uh, i stay away from all the conspiracy and this thing stuff because i i don't know much about it and it sounds quite wacko but in terms of the planets um, do you think they are beings in themselves and i don't mean like aliens but i mean like alive entities just like how for earth we have gaia or you know um uh, i mean that is one way of looking at it earth as an organism in itself and then there's obviously our vedic way of looking at it as bhuloka and then you know the other lokas in which like you've also mentioned about the nagas and stuff like that so about saturn for example i came across this somewhere that saturn is basically the karmic library and it holds the records of you know every beings uh, karmic uh, actions in all their lifetimes and that is why it's the database and because everyone's mindset is that saturn is bad you know shani as they call it in india and that uh, you know they try to appease him by walking around like lighting the lamp under the people tree and stuff but their actions are still really really you know not that great whereas that's all that they could do because i believe that this particular lord is just looking at uh, if you are humble and just you know so is there something like this that you know saturn is something like a karmic library and you know the records are stored over there like how for example there's this whole you know talk around the akashic records and stuff like that but about mm. this uh, karma topic like if you could please shed some light sure I, i think there's two interesting things to reply to one is whether saturn is the karmic record and the other one is whether the planets are alive yeah so with that that's very interesting because it everything depends upon the observer the reality is really dependent on the observer that this is quantum, you know quantum this is the problem that they ran into when they started developing quantum physics hmm. that reality really depends on the observer so for most for 99% of human beings the earth is not alive our yeah. rock is not alive the mountain is not alive it's just a thing you know yeah that doesn't mean that that's that doesn't mean that these people are really observing reality in its fullness so i think for a person that's really observing reality in the full fullness they would also kind of scoff at the question of if the planets are alive because they would just think like 
everything is alive. Mm. Everything is consciousness, whether taking the role of a of something that you can experience or taking the role of the experiencer. That it's all Brahman, Sarvam Kalvidam Brahman. Mm. It's all Brahman. So it's not just planets that are alive, but atoms are alive. Living atoms are the living force of Shakti of Vishnu. Yeah. So yeah, and and then somewhere in between that extreme between people who just think nothing except themselves is alive and the other person who thinks everything is alive, somewhere within this extreme, there's all different kinds of realities, you know. So yeah, I, the planets are devatas, and they do they do superintend. And this transitions to your other question about whether Saturn is. They all superintend various aspects of karma. So they're all like working for Chitragupta and Yama. Okay. The Lord of Death, Yama. Yeah. Yama he's, is the Lord a... of Enforcement, right? The, okay. The, they're all keeping track of the karma. And the way that he's enforcing his thing is by having these planets move so that he can get effects done, so that okay. he can bring effects to people. So they're all like his agents. And it's not that. The thing about Saturn being the karmic library, for sure Saturn is the karmic library, but I think we also forgot that Jupiter is the karmic li li library, the sun, the moon, all of the planets are karmic library because that's what astrology is. Astrology is the clock face or like the, the graphical user interface to the operating system of karma. Hmm. Saturn might be the one that you think of when you think of the word karma because people tend to think of the word karma as like, oh no, man, it's a bad thing. I got my karma. Mm. I slapped that person at the bus stop and now I got arrested. So I got my karma. <laughs> but that's not all that karma is. Karma is when you help an old lady with her groceries and mm. then people like you and you feel happy in life. That's also karma. That's actually called karma. The thing about slapping somebody and getting punished is actually called vikarma. Okay. The opposite. Karma. Vikarma. Okay. Yeah, there's karma and vikarma and akarma are three important terms. What's the difference, please, between the three? Karma is the performance of a deed. Okay. Vikarma is the performance of a bad deed. Okay. Something that you shouldn't do, V. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't do it. And akarma is not to do anything. Hmm. Inaction. Yeah. But that's also like a decision, right? To be inactive. Right. So in Gita, Krishna says a person who is wise, they think that sometimes there's karma in a karma and sometimes there's a karma in karma sometimes mm. there's you're going to get you're going to get a repercussion for not doing anything we know this mm. especially men men we have to do stuff mm. we can't sit around and wait we have to take action and so sometimes if we don't we've we've messed up our dharma we've messed up our duty we didn't act when we were supposed to act it can mm. be terrible. It could feel so bad for the rest of your life if you were supposed to do something at a certain time. Like somebody mm. needed you at a certain time and you didn't do it. You didn't mm. protect them. That is, that's V-karma in the A-karma. So that's one of the, that's one of like the little riddles that Krishna go, um, unravels in chapter three of Gita. Mm. But going back to the thing about planets. So don't just think of karma as a bad thing. Negative. Karma is everything that happens as a result of our actions. And so Jupiter is the storehouse of karma too. It's just that Jupiter is the storehouse of the, generally, Jupiter represents the good results of the karma, the things that help that grow you and help you expand. 
where Saturn represents what we call the bad results, which is the thing that restrict you. Mm. But but restriction is not always a bad thing and growth is not always a good thing. Mm. Yeah. It's like we want to restrict a lot of people want to restrict their weight. Or somebody who has cancer wants to restrict how much it's going to grow. Mm. Right? So and then in that case, Jupiter would be bad. You wouldn't want to increase it. So negativity and positivity, Saturn is negative, Jupiter is positive, but it's and it generally means bad and good, but it's not, you know, Saturn is not bad. Jupiter is not mm. good, but Jupiter is, inc- is the kind of karma that increases things, and Saturn is the kind of karma that decreases things. Or delays it. Or delays. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because this is one thing which I, you know, learned, especially after the past few months of studying this a lot. I was watching, you know, your videos, and I, I discovered you a bit late. Before that, I had discovered uh, Dr. Arjun Pai, and... Uh, uh, I haven't seen much of Jeffrey Armstrong, but then there's a wonderful lady called uh, Eve Mendoza. Uh, there's like some really lovely people out there, you know, with some really amazing knowledge and there's so much to learn. And um, uh, sorry, what 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 had you said? I just started on that, but I forgot. Good karma, bad karma, Jupiter. Oh, Saturn restriction. About Saturn. Saturn, yeah, Saturn. So yeah. I learned from, you know, all of these people that... Uh, because again, growing up in India, like, you know, you get imp- you get impressed with these impressions that, uh, you know, Shani is evil and, you know, he's after you, you know, he's, he's, he's behind you to like whip you or something like that. But uh, I think all it does is it, it waits until you are ready to give you what you need or want or something like that. So, and that's what I came across when I was, you know, like watching all of this, because they were saying that Saturn delays, but never denies. And that was something which was, you know, uh, good to hear, like for me, who was kind of removing the conditioning of, you know, regular astrological knowledge, which I had uh, gathered. Actually, just over here, I'll share with you how my interest came into this for the first time. So when I was, uh, so I come from a background in India, which is like, luckily my parents and all, they're very, very cosmopolitan. So it's very open-minded. It's uh, because they're, they're all in the military. All right. So my father retired as a general and he's a doctor and same as with my uncle and on both my mother's and father's side, they're all in the army, Navy, air force. So we never had any pressure of being a certain way because we don't belong to any community. We are totally mixed. You know, I'm supposed to be Punjabi. I don't even know the language and I've never lived there. Mm. All right. I have no roots, no ancestral place, nothing. All right. Um, Because even my grandparents, they are mixed, you know, uh, on both the sides and everything. My mom uh, used to go to the Hanuman uh, temple in the city where we currently are. And uh, when I was very young, I used to go along with her up until the age of like 10, 11. Then I used to be like, you know, the temples are like, it's muck on the floor, you know, it's like dirty and um, all I see the pundits always doing is, you know, taking money and stuff. So that's when I like just stopped it all. And I never uh, had any inclination to inquire more about what this entire religion scene is and etc. Because at that time I used to think Hinduism is about religion, whereas it's not, it's a way of living, you know, Sanatan Dharma. So I had no idea and I just stayed away. And uh, then as I grew up and I started, you know, uh, doing my own studies related to self-improvement and stuff, obviously 
being much younger there was way more ego and immaturity so it was all you know building up even more and more and uh, it came to the point where um you know once in a while my mom used to try to take me to the temple or and not for making me religious but just you know come along and i used to be like no and then you know meet this pandit i used to be like no then uh, there was because i used to find all the pandits to have a commercial angle you know so what happened is that one day uh, this would be around somewhere between 2011 2012 20, 2013 when i was doing my undergraduate and uh, there was this gentleman who came to our house and my mom was like uh, meet him you know he's a very knowledgeable man and i was like what is he? He, he so she's like he's a pandit i was like fuck off like i'm not i'm not coming over like i have not interested at all because like what i'm reading in you know uh, like books like carl sagan or like stuff like that that okay this is all much more interesting she's like just try it and if you don't like it you know you let it go uh because he's also from the army luckily so in the army in the indian army every unit has a temple a mosque a church and a gurudwara all right wherever they are stationed so accordingly there are priests for these places and they're on their army people so they don't have a commercial angle so that was like okay i'll you know then okay i'll go and i'll speak to him and uh, at that time what were my most uh, confounding questions about life i would ask this guy and he would answer them with one line like one shloka you know of sanskrit and then he would explain it to me and it would blow my mind and that is where first time i got introduced to astrology via him because uh, after my undergraduate i was going to leave the country because i realized that i'm still a useless piece of shit i need to like do more you know so i was like i'm going to try to take on some sort of an experience to learn more and uh, then i stayed in touch with him and then uh, since then that is the time when even in my writings to you i mentioned that 2013 onwards been really tough so 2013 onwards like i was having a lot of difficulty because uh, uh, jobs especially were not available in western eu and i wanted like one of the best but like it was still post recession time so there was a lot of struggle and i was the youngest in my class you know people were there with work experience because that's what uh westerners do they do a masters after some vocex i just went as a fresher and i was doing two masters simultaneously at the same time so it was just too too much of a struggle and then he said you you will uh, get like what you're looking for the job which you're getting for but in the country you're looking for right now you will not get there because at that time i was searching in london and my studies had began in dublin and he's like you will be there itself you will you will be in ireland and i was like i i why do you say that because i have not even made one application there he's like you try as much as you want in the uk you're not going to get a job over there i was like what the hell like why is he and i kept trying i sent over 200 applications i'd never got it and trust me at that time it wasn't um as if you know it set a bias in my head or it you know turned up turned on a particular belief in my head nothing like that i wanted it there only you know because uh, london is way more alive than dublin and you know i'm coming from india so i can't settle in a very quiet place and stuff like that so but it didn't happen after continuously trying you know uh, literally i missed one entire year of job placements and then the next year finally i you know got it and it was in dublin <laughs> so it was just amazing so that's the first time i got introduced and that's where i you know got downloaded these reports online um, 
and i used to try to like study and research a little bit so around a year i had done that and then now last year august onwards again i came back to it but this time i've just come back with a very different perspective because i this time i'm i'm like like going as deep as i can to just learn from it you know whatever is possible because it's it's beautiful which brings me to my next question actually that what makes astrology a divine science i don't know what's the divine what, what's the definition of a divine science like what okay so so uh like how those who especially are on the rational side of thinking or the intellectual side of thinking and they like to question everything with evidence and you know like the western ways of thinking but uh i think science most of the time is only able to validate what up until now it has developed an ability to test and measure all right but there's so much more which is unseen mm. and until the technology comes to that level they're not going to accept that okay you know this is how it is so science uh is kind of limited in my opinion in that particular understanding and that's why something like astrology to me seems like a divine science why because it didn't come in our future it came from the past huh. okay and it came from the past at an incredibly deep level of sophistication because from whatever little i have a friend also um who himself is like a novice astrologer he's been studying it for the past 3 4 years and um, i'm just amazed at the innumerable amount of calculations which are possible in astrology you know so the permut- permutations and combinations are unlimited and uh, as i said coming from the past and it being very very mathematical probably one of the first applications of mathematics you know uh, combined with observational evidence because you know earlier that's what these guys used to do there was no netflix so they used to look at the black screen up in the sky so you know at that time where technology did not exist telescopes weren't there none of that stuff for there but these guys made this as well as uh, i don't know whether it was just mere humans or the story where uh, i believe agastya muni narrated uh, the bhrigu shastra or something and ganesha wrote it down i believe i i'm, I'm i might be wrong I'm not over sure here hmm. yeah so that was so because of the kind of roots from where it comes for me it's something which is divine you know because it is not from today I because i also believe that a lot of the things which are coming from today are quite corrupted like uh, like the pharma industry is making new medicines but it's just making people more sick via those medicines and 30 years later they need more medicine so hmm. so for me it's a divine science because it you know is because of all the things which i mentioned so how how do you think about Hmm. Yeah, I think I could say a couple of things. One thing is about science, and one thing is maybe about the divinity of it. I think I would encourage you to um, rethink the idea that actually the Western people invented science. Yeah, yeah, of course not. <laughs> yeah, it's not a Western way of thinking. Yeah, actually, Western people are quite illogical, mm. and the all this Christianity, Judaism. Islam, it's not based on science. Hmm. It's based on it's Us based on like army kind of stuff, really. Us Just, versus I, them. I'm your leader. You follow me. That's it. Yeah. Um, the Nayakas of India invented science. The Vaisheshikas of India invented science. I want to write this down. Vaisheshikas. <laughs> Vaisheshikas and Nayakas. N Y A. Okay. Nya, nya. 
Nyayaka. Okay. That's it was shortly after Buddhism, actually. It was after Buddhism that the Nyayakas and Vaisheshikas became very prominent. And this mm. is why we don't see a lot of Buddhists in India anymore. Mm. Because they ripped that they ripped that thing apart. They ripped the Buddhist concept apart with the logic and and science that the idea that one one can come from zero. Mm. The shunyavad of the Buddhism, they just tore it to pieces, and so the Buddhists left and they went to Tibet mm. to get away from the nyayakas and the fasheshikas. Okay, our guys messed it up. Okay, like these yeah, fasheshikas guys... and nyayakas messed up the Buddhist. Uh, yeah, messed up. Philosophy. Like you could say, we ripped it up. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, because Buddha, Buddhism said, let's not talk about the Vedas. Mm. Because the whole Buddha, Buddha himself was like, you guys are doing himsa, you guys are doing violence. And you're mm. sitting around, it's like the pandas. They're mm. like talking, they're pretending like they're pundits, but they just want their money. So mm. it's in the same way these people are doing Vedic stuff, but actually they're just selfish bastards. Mm. And they're just doing the Vedic sacrifices and stuff to gratify themselves. So Buddha was like, no, this is just wrong. And stop justifying it based on this and that quote from the Veda. It's just wrong. Just the only thing that you should care about is whether or not you're violent or not violent. Just be nonviolent. It's just to have ahimsa. Mm. And that, that was his message. And it was very important for India at 5,000 years ago. Or mm. yeah, I think it's five thousand or three thousand years ago. It was super important for India at that time. But um, the problem was that he got rid of the that he you know told people just forget about the Vedas, stop referring to the Vedas. So then there had to be people after him to say, okay, now that you've gotten rid of the Vedas and you got rid of your problem of exploiting the Vedas, let's bring it back. <laughs> you know, let's bring mm. it back, but not use it in an exploited way. Anyway, about science. Definitely, like the Upanishads, the Vedas themselves, even before the Nyayakas and the Vaisheshikas, it's all based on questions and answers, questions, investigation. What is meditation? Meditation is nothing but an experiment. Mm. Meditation is observation, but instead of, I'm not just going to observe the intestines of a frog, I'm going to observe the operations of my, my, my mind, my intellect, my emotions, my feelings, my motivations. Mm. Um, Meditation is science. It is observation. And then divinity, whether a science is divine or not, it depends again on how we want to define divine. Intellect is divine. So therefore, any ability to think is divine. But like you said, whether or not it comes from just regular people, like an iPhone came from Steve Jobs, like did it come? Uh, did it come out like that? Of just some guys happened to invent it, and this is the difference between Avaroha and Aroha Panta. The Veda, like that's I think what you, what we're talking about. Is it an Aroha <clears throat> science, which would be like a worldly science, an empiric science? It's built up up from the ground. Aroha, it comes up Rohini, mm. or is it Avaroha? It just comes down from somebody somebody else. Mm. So Any actually, honestly, of all of the all. Any examples of the two? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, physics. You know, Isaac Newton watching watching an apple fall and then figuring out the laws of science based on that. That's aroha where you build stuff up. Okay. So if you if you're so if inference, you're inference 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 is called anuman and anuman is based on pratyaksha, which is experience. Okay. 
but like Newton sees an apple fall, that's his pratyaksha, and then he figures out like there must be something in the ground that's pulling it. Yeah. That's his okay. anuman, that's his inference. And then so now he comes to Shabda where he is able to define something. Yeah. He's able to define gravity. Let's call it gravity. So that there you're you're taking uh, you're taking pratyaksha anuman and shabda, you're building to shabda from pratyaksha, from your experience, you're building up to a, to mm. a, something definable. That's empirical mm. science. Mm. Then the divine science is you're starting with Shabda and you take the Shabda into your Anuman and then it becomes Pratyaksha. So Shabda means the word, the definitions, the Shruti, the Smriti. You hear the Veda, you hear information and you contemplate it, you meditate on it, you think about it, you try to figure it out. That's your Anuman. And then you see it. Like if mm. you like if you're practicing tennis or something, and you're watching some good tennis player. I don't know anything about tennis, so I can't tell the difference between the best tennis player and the worst tennis player. But if after I get some education about what tennis is, then my observation can tell the difference. This guy has a good swing. This guy has a bad swing. Mm. So, so sometimes education will actually cause our perception to be different. Mm. So that's what divine science does. Divine science starts with information and then uh, revolutionizes our perception. Empirical science starts with perception and then revolutionizes our information. Mm. So okay, astrology. So in, 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 sorry, yeah, continue. Go ahead. Go ahead. So basically, just to uh, <clears throat> round it off, uh, sorry, just to clarify, one begins from experience, which is aroha, and then yeah. it comes towards man giving it some form all right. right and the other one is uh which comes only from the information such as from the vedas avroha so it's coming from above and then we define it or like uh, create it or manifest it into our experience right okay it, it, that's the ultimate way the ultimate avroha is like the veda will supply. but anytime i go to a school for example i'm doing avroha like if okay. I if I go to first grade and the teacher tells me one plus one equals two, hmm. that's an example of divine science functioning in a simple way. The hmm. teacher who has some knowledge gives it to me. Hmm. I think about it. And then all of a sudden, the next time I'm playing with my toys and I have one toy and another toy and I put them together, then I see what two is. And it makes hmm. sense to me now because I heard it. Hmm. I heard about it from my teacher. So that's how the Shabda comes through my intelligence or Anuman and then it becomes part of my projection of my experience. Mm. So it also, it's not just on the grand <clears throat> scale of like the Vedas and everything. It's any kind of educational method of getting knowledge is descending of Aroha. Mm. But it, the, now the question is on the, it's called the Optika, whether the person is Optik or not, Optik Purusha, if the person is qualified. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. So yeah. if you so the quest of the quest is to find a more and more optiprush, a more and more qualified source of information to teach you. So that yeah. will eventually say, well, it would lead back to the Veda, to the sages, to the rishis, to the Veda, through which you can get information about stuff that's not just one plus one. I could have learned one plus one equals two another way. I didn't have to learn it from a teacher. I could have just saw, I got one toy here, I got another toy here. Now I got two of them. I could have done that by myself, but there's certain things that you can't do by yourself. Things that are not like taking parts of what I've already experienced and building them into a new thing. 
mm. information about what I don't I don't even know how to explain it, but information which is about things which are beyond the perception of the senses has to be gained mm. from a divine from a divine source. So astrology I think is part of the divine science of the Veda. I mean, mm. actually, it, it is actually in the Rig Veda. There's parts of astrology. It's not terribly similar to what we do today, but the basic roots of astrology are in the Rig Veda. Mm. So I do think it's part of the divine science. Yeah, and it's just so amazing too. The thing that just tickles me about astrology is it's just so incredible. It's just so beautiful. It's just like this has no. It's so flawless. The <laughs> And not even I don't I don't even want to like read anybody's chart sometimes or like it's like that astrology becomes frustrating or annoying or difficult, but like the astrology itself, just like the concept of what does Mars represent, what does Venus represent, what is Aries, mm. what is Taurus, why, mm. all that stuff is so enlightening and so deep and so beautiful, and the way that it all fits together and works out is just so incredibly perfect mm. that it verifies the concept that. Steve Jobs didn't put this together. You know, it didn't get built up from the ground. It like fell out of the sky, more or less. Like, I think, you know, when Vishnu enlightens Brahma about how to make the universe manifest, it includes, it includes the stuff that generates the astrological system that we have. So I think it's just a testament to the ingeniousness of Brahma Mm -hmm. that you have this thing out there in the sky that, so amazing and 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 actually works and if when you've done it like me like when you've done thousands of charts thousands of people thousands of times and you just see often you get things wrong because you're i'm human right but even when i get something wrong it's like ah but see i could see how i got it wrong i Mm. missed this part or like i thought it meant brown but it was like gold you know it's, it's not like it's not like in left field or like something totally different. The, the astral—it's just like after doing thousands of charts, it's just amazing. Like, man, the world actually runs on karma, and you know, it's—it's it's got this face to it. And in the sky, it's pretty amazing. It's like inspirational. Like, I think this universe isn't just a, a lost dog running off into the wilderness. I think it like has a purpose and a system. I think there's a system to it. Mm. No, even uh, it baffles me actually. Uh, it baffles me to. It's just, it's just crazy because even for example, you know, after my uh, email exchange with you, I'm still uh, trying to uh, study the technical stuff, you know, of uh, certain things which you mentioned. I'm still trying to understand it more. Still trying to go through it more. That's why, like on that, I didn't even need to respond to you yet. I'm still working through it. I'm trying to. Um, understand like what does it mean for you know a particular planet to be looking at a particular house and having an impact and this and that because it's just it's insane and again like the the experience which normally in India you get with run-of-the-mill astrologers you know sitting in temples and stuff they're only going to look at the planets and the houses in which you know they're sitting Uh, like my introduction to nakshatras which happened through you and the few other you know uh, esteemed people that I mentioned that blew my mind, especially even your video, 
you know uh, on uh, purva falguni about the ideal man because i was like holy shit you know this is what i am trying to become myself and i'm trying to help others become you know and it's tough even though it's so it's it's just one quality you know about are you going to be able to carry out what you've said that you will do are you that trustworthy it's 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 weightage it's not light because as a man as you start growing through life the amount of weight that is piling on you starts increasing mm. you know and and as a man you're worthless if you're not carrying any weight mm. in society you know you and i don't blame society i mean that that is what a man should be doing anyway because you know um he should be able to protect he should be able to provide he should be able to do those things for which he needs to take the responsibility of not just himself but even others and within all that responsibility to then be able to keep your word like i i really loved that uh, you know uh, definition which you put across for uh, pura falguni and i was like wow this is just uh, too good so thank you so much for you know making the stuff which you make it's your channel i need to actually go way deeper because it's like a massive uh, a repository of amazing information but let's uh, come to the next question which is what can astrology ultimately tell a person about themselves because i do understand and even you mentioned you know at the start that it all has to do with karma and i recently came to understand that okay the chart the kundli also shows you about your previous life so basically there is information about your previous karma in there so does it show uh how much does it show does it show the future path also or does it just show the past and um what else uh does astrology actually tell people which is outside of you know things like fortune telling and future prediction i'm talking about the life path i'm talking about uh, karmic lessons i'm talking about previous life stuff like that if you could please yeah tell something so since astrology is really a graphical user interface to karma then anything that can get generated by karma astrology can tell you about that which basically means everything wow so astrology can tell you about everything but um if you have the i you, i mean i've had the experience of trying to teach people things right so like you can have you can you can teach one class and you're going to have three students in it yeah one student can understand your lesson better than you did <laughs> and another guy can understand nothing about it and completely think that you're talking about something else than mm. what you're but you said the same thing so it's not just about what astrology can tell us but it's about what we can hear what we can learn astrology can potentially tell us everything about almost everything but i don't think people people can learn sometimes you know mm. So this is a lot of a lot of times people will say I want to get a, one of your reports but what will it tell me I have no idea what to tell the uh, how to answer that person mm. It's like if a woman says I want to I want to have a relationship with you but what will it be like I don't know it depends on you too doesn't it <laughs> It's not just me it's you're also part of the relationship So people often think that like let me go to an astrologer and if the astrologer is good it's not just good the astrologer is good it depends on you and that's why some people really like this astrologer and other people really like that astrologer because some just like some men like this woman and some women like that man you know different people click with different people yeah 
and the transmission of knowledge actually is a relationship. So what astrology can tell us, it's usually limited by what we can grasp. And then actually what people who get readings usually realize it is you get a reading and on that day, it may or may not make a lot of sense or you may understand a bunch of stuff about it, but three days later, all of a sudden something else comes out. You understand it better. A year later, 10 years later, 40 years later, you you know, the the information that you got from a reading is kind of like, um, what do they say when they're pregnant? Gestating. Mm. It's, you know, it's like taking <clears throat> its time to reveal itself to us. Why? Because we're taking our time Mm. to understand what it what it actually said so just because i think astrology can tell us anything about anything but you know that doesn't mean that i might that i can answer anybody's question about anything mm. no my my question was that uh, um, um, uh, for example if you take an individual human being and you take uh, their chart i'm not talking about you in particular yeah. i'm talking about just uh, astrology the subject of astrology, what all information does that one chart contain kind of anything, about the kind of other everything. person? Everything. Because uh, people's, as I said, like people normally think about it to, you know, plan their future and stuff like that. But I feel that it could be used if if one learns how to study it or if one has a qualified guide that it, it can tell us so much more from the past life to the, you know, karmic lessons to what your life path is supposed to be. Uh, yeah. what your purpose is supposed to be so and and i'm sure that some of it is actually very scary because i'm sure that when you look at a chart you can look at when the person is going to die also and that must yeah. be like that that must be like a load you know like to go through yeah. video looking and stuff so like this uh what all are the unique things which are not commonly known that can be uh understood about ourselves from a chart i don't know what's commonly known or not but you can know everything so i can you can understand what what a person is afraid of what a person really wants um what what how a person loves how a person hates what the person hates what the person loves and that is actually the key to figuring out other stuff like what they should do tomorrow or what the what career they should have it's not it's not also it's a false dichotomy some people say astrology should is a psychological tool and other people say astrology is like a predictive tool but like they this is such a false dichotomy because the mind and psychology is the thing that motivates our actions and the actions are the things that make real stuff happen in life so how can if astrology is able to tell me what career i should have then it must be able to tell me what i enjoy and what i don't enjoy what I like and what I don't like, how my intellect works. I think astrology charts is also really good for that too. It depends. Basically, astrology can tell you everything. So the, the thing that it can tell you depends on you, the reader, the person using the astrology, what's interesting to you. Whatever is interesting to you, you can get incredible insight into that from astrology. So like if you're a psychologist, then astrology can is like such an incredibly rich diagnostic tool, evaluation tool. If you're a philosopher, then it's so philosophical. If you're, you know, into how intelligence, if you're a strategic, like a strategist, you can see how people think. Mm. 
Um, yeah. So, like, so it's actually it's actually the the applications are insane. Limitless. Basically. Just yes. like the combinations and, I, and calculations are limitless, the applications are limitless. Yeah, and I do believe I saw on Jeffrey Armstrong's uh, website that they uh look at business teams charts to see how people you know fit together and work together yeah, so sure. that was the first that. that's the first time i came across uh that particular application and um it, it is insane and that's what even i realized in you know these past few months that actually um uh, forget like forget reading all the books and you know all the self-help stuff and everything just read about yourself because maybe you know you're making one mistake again and again and again and every time with that experience you come a little deeper to figuring out the cause but the chart can tell you that you're afraid of this yeah. particular thing and that's why you're doing something you know but uh, and like i think most of us have never realized that this personal cheat code which we have that we are not using it or like yeah. we don't know how to use it you know and i think it's it's phenomenal about like um how 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 much can be known from it but i i also feel it's scary <laughs> because like for example my friend i i do see him uh quite stressed all the time because he's somebody who's always you know checking what's happening you know on with the planets and stuff like that and he's always living under that so i see that also happening i think i got i think that <laughs> helped me a little bit was that the fact that i got into vedic philosophy before i got into astrology hmm so it helped me to not get that. I don't care that much what my karma is going to be, hmm. because whatever it is, I know it's it's good. Whether it's Saturn giving me a punch in the back or whether it's Jupiter, you know, giving me a hug, hmm. either thing is the thing that I need. So I'm not that worried about it. But it is definitely being an astrologer is not an easy job. Um, it's not, it's a lot like being a, a therapist in general, which is really tough. Mm. There's people who are therapists, they're really soldiers because mm. they go through, they go all of my, whatever, like trauma I have going to my therapist, my therapist has to eat that too. Mm. So it's being an astrologer is very difficult. And actually I shied away from it. And so I stopped doing like one-to-one -one conversations with people and because it would just make me so tired hmm. i get it so um i wanted to ask you how how can or, or and let me know if you think you've already answered this uh since we understood that you know astrology has to do with time and with the moments in time based on you know the positions in uh, the universe of different different entities uh how can it help us understand how time works and i i think that's too deep a question but like whatever light you can uh um throw on it and i don't mean this from an astrological uh perspective of people using it that okay like when my certain xyz mahadasha is on that's when i should launch this you know new business or stuff like that right. i don't mean it like that i mean it in terms of just uh, how can it help a person understand time better yeah, I think the most important thing to notice about the sky is that it's round. Mm. <laughs> so that that's gonna that's gonna inform you what time really is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, maybe the flat Earth society would disagree, but but the sky is round and the planets go around us. Mm. It's so time's not flat. 
And then, and then, so that's really the most important lesson is that the same things that are happening to you now are going to happen to you tomorrow too. Mm. And the same things that happen this year are going to happen next year. And the same things that happen in the 1970s are going to happen in the 1980s with slight modifications every single time, mm. you know? And so I was actually trying to ex explain some, recently I was trying to explain Chinese astrology to somebody. So what they do is it's, basically identical to the Rig Vedic Yuga. So they have these five Yugas that span 12 years each. And so with this, they get 60 unique years and they that's their basis for their astrology. But when I was explaining it to the person who's very new and, and has no idea about astrology at all, I realized how beautiful the whole thing is and how all the way that time works is that it's these circular movements that are within other circular movements. Yeah. So it's like these gears spinning within other gears and the way that they roll around is really, really beautiful. And it's like, like fascinating. You just watch uh, it over and over. Like the backside of a watch. Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. And then um, that's why you get the first time that this cycle happened. Like every day, basically the same stuff happens, but that other circle is in a different position every time. And then, and that's what, that's what literally is going on in the sky. Like it takes the sun X amount of time to make a circle. It takes Venus X amount of time. It takes Mercury, it takes Mars different amount. And so literally what's going on is these circles within circles. Hmm. I think some Greeks or somebody were, were actually using the same terminology to, they're talking about spheres within spheres and they were trying to build, build models that would show that kind of movement. But yeah, that's the thing that it tells me about time is that it's cyclic, but it's multi-cyclic. Mm. And the cycles aren't, they're synchronized, but they're all moving at different speeds. So you get like these repetitions of things, like every moment, every moment is a repetition of the previous one. Every second is a repetition, but that's really a small cycle. Mm. And that little tiny cycle is moving inside a bigger one. And that bigger cycle is moving inside a bigger one and inside a bigger one so that you actually get unique moments, like an infinite number of unique moments from mm. the beginning of a universe to the end of a universe, even though basically they're all the same. And I think this is why it's confusing to people whether or not time is linear or circular, because it is linear in a sense. This The circle is moving in a certain direction, so you can see some linear progress, and it's never quite exactly the same thing twice. Mm. It's always slight, there's always some slight difference. Nonetheless, it's all this repetition. It's actually the repetition of these cycles within cycles that produces this thing that appears to be linear. Hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. It is, it's insane. Because it's like, again, like, you know, uh, you started uh, your original first answers with, you know, the example of the face of a clock and it's literally like a nanosecond existing within a second, the second existing within a minute, the minute existing within an hour. And they're all of the same quantity in terms of units of time, but in terms of quality, they're all varying all the time, you know? And uh, like, the thing is that for us as free-willed human beings with having our own desires like karma and then you know our duties dharma or whatever like it's just that um, different times have different levels of significance for us and that's what allows us to give significance to ourselves and build mm -hmm. a meaning about our life which otherwise 
in a way is also meaningless because we are also going to just go hmm. you know so it's just beautiful the whole concept of you know what uh, time is and listening to you on this like it brings me to the next question which i have that i really really loved you know all the from whatever i've seen like the different kind of stories etc that you share all right uh, whether they are from the shrimad bhagavatam or whatever so i wanted to know which is your all time favorite story all right um whether it is just because you like the story or one from which you learned the most so i would love to know which is your favorite story because you have that collection in your head i know that so uh, i don't know it's a little, i'm a little shy to say what it is because it's very much my favorite story hmm <laughs> okay so i'll i'll probably avoid the question <laughs> but maybe people can probably guess what it is since they know if they know the shrimad bhagavatam i love all the other thing too is i love all of the stories it's like yeah yeah every one of them is so and they're all so tied together yeah. and understanding one lets you understand another one like you said like shiva sati that story is so incredibly good it yeah. actually it makes me so sad that i cannot see i can't go to the movie theater and watch this yeah like i want to see that i want to see this story on the screen you yeah. know with a good actor a good actress the right sets good effects it would be incredible yeah um other stuff is i don't know that's a, re a recent one that i did like this riddle that narada tells barisha the riddle of the citizen of the king in the in the city it's this whole gigantic allegory for the soul and the body and the, his whole life that riddle is just like so mind-boggling uh can like, you please uh um, share. it's in the it's in the fourth part of the bhagavatam he tells the tale of paranjana this okay. you know the person who lives in the pura in the city um it's he's see the reason why he told this to the king was the king already knew intellectually what he should do and what he should not do but still he was doing stuff wrong so Narada decided he didn't want to just give him more philosophy he wanted to give him tell him a story hmm. that would emotionally affect him and make him um change i think that's also interesting so he made up a story to illustrate to illustrate a philosophy rather than just telling the philosophy. Mm. So he made up the story of this king who's wandering around the earth looking for for a kingdom. And then he finally finds a kingdom and it's this beautiful city with these nice walls and it has nine gates. And uh, he, outside the walls, he meets this beautiful woman. As soon as he looks at the woman, this dragon comes out from behind her with five heads. And then all these um, bodyguards come around her, the 10 of the bodyguards. And then these bodyguards are attended by all these women. Hmm. And then she speaks with him and she agrees to marry him. And because of marrying her, he can then occupy the city. Hmm. And then at one point he rebels against her because he feels like a puppet because everything that she's telling him to do, he's doing. And then he rebels against her and he goes out hunting on his own. And then he, and then that makes him exhausted and, and he comes back and, the whole story goes on and then he they have children and then they the children deplete the, the country of all its resources and they enslave the, the people around to like help the children you know become the servants of the children and then uh he gets attacked by an an enemy from the sky that has these 
soldiers who are black and white. Hmm. And he has 720, there's 720 of them, 360 white ones and 360 black. And they attack him and they- so, Sorry, what are the numbers? The what are the numbers again? 360, 720. So you see all this stuff is part of the riddle. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's why I'm. That's why I'm trying to pay attention to the details. Yeah, the three sixty black ones and seven twenty white ones. Yeah, what do you think it is? Three sixty black ones and seven. And these are soldiers. These are warriors. Yeah, they're Gandharvas. They're sky dwellers. Ah, okay. Why? Okay. What do you think it is then? What is it that would? What is the city? Pura. Yeah, that's his body. The okay. city is 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 his body. Then what are the guys from the sky? the it's time okay right the okay. sky is where you see time moving and why are they black and white to show the two different aspects of like duality like the good and the evil good two good, different kinds. good idea day and night huh, 360 okay. days in a year yeah there's 360 soldiers there's three, 360 white ones, 360 black. So you get 360 day and nights every year. So what Narda is saying is year after year, the city gets assaulted by the passing of time. Hmm. And this one dragon is fighting off these, these soldiers from the sky year after year by himself. He's fighting off 360 people by himself. Hmm. But every time he went, he wins every time, but every time he gets a little bit more tired. And so by the time he's about 50 years of the fight, he still wins, but the battles are longer. I mean, it's just exactly mm. the way that we, the way that we, it takes us longer. Now I'm 52. Mm. Man, it just takes me longer to wake up. It takes me <laughs> longer to, you know, it takes me longer to like recover from something. Yeah. I can't just like go out and like go out. I don't know. I I, you know, if, if I stay up late, like if I stay up till four in the morning, the next day it's like, oh, uh, I feel like I have a hangover. Mm. I just, you don't have to drink or anything. You just have to stay up late now because I'm 52. <laughs> mm. But when I'm 26, I could have stayed up for like three days straight. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, you know, that's the analogy. Like you, uh, your body gradually gets tired and the recovery of illness takes longer and everything. And then uh, the t he, there's another enemy of the, of the kingdom is the foreigners, the um, Yavanas. I think they're called the Yavanas, the foreigners. So mm. that's analogous for all the stuff that like germs, viruses, coronavirus, all the stuff that's foreign to the body. Mm. They're also attacking the city, but they combine with the time after the dragon is t the dragon is our prana or vitality. After the vitality gets smashed over 50 years of fighting, then these foreigners start to get stronger and stronger. Mm. And they have a daughter called um, Time's daughter, old age. And nobody wants to marry her. <laughs> Narada says nobody wants to marry old age, even though they know that she once married King Puru and blessed him. Mm. Like even though people know old age gives wisdom and still nobody wants old age. <clears throat> But she actually goes to the foreigners. She goes to Narda first, and Narda says, Hana, I'm a brahmachari. Mm. <laughs> it's no go. And then she got really mad at him. She said, what do you mean you're a brahmachari? This is just an excuse. Uh, anyway, you want to be a brahmachari? Fine, you be a brahmachari. You'll never, if you're not going to marry, if you're not going to settle down with me, you're not going to settle down anywhere. Mm. So she cursed him, but he's happy. No problem. 
just like I say, like who cares if you get Saturn or Jupiter? Who really cares? You get a cursor yeah. if you get a blessing. Who cares? It's always going to be good for you yeah. if you have the right attitude. So Narada got cursed from old age that he'll never settle down. That's fine. He doesn't need to settle down. That's what it means to be a brahmachari, actually, right? That's an important part of it. Freedom. So, but he said, but he, but he doesn't. He likes her and he wants to help her. So he says, "I have a great idea for you. Let me be your matchmaker." There's this guy over there, foreign king. I think he'll marry you. So she goes to the foreign king and she says, "I want to marry you." And he's actually deaf. Okay. So he says, "Yeah, but um, I don't want to marry you either. But marry my brother." My brother is fever. My brother is like the effect of disease, disease, you know? So disease marries death. And he says, and we'll all work together. We'll work as a triplet, a triple team. And we'll have all my soldiers here. They're all the diseases. And we'll go attack this, this city. All these people that didn't want to marry you, will get our revenge. We'll get revenge for you. They all dishonored you by, you know, you actually offered to marry them and they turned you down. We're going to go. You're going to get all their heads. And she's like, yes, I like that. And they went and they attacked the city and they wrecked the city. Hmm. And then they, and then he gets forced out of the city and then he gets pulled down to Yamaraj. So the this time, the dra dragon lost this time to these invaders. Yeah. Because, yeah. The dragon actually, it's actually very interesting. The, they say that the dragon tries to leave the city in the end. He tries to leave the city the same way that a snake tries to leave up uh, its hole when there's a fire. But um, it couldn't really get out. It couldn't really get out of the city. And it starts to just make these weird noises. Hmm. Which is what happens with the prana when, when we are super close to death. When we're really close to death, people tend to make very strange noises because the breath it moves really weird and it gets arrested and it stops and it moves weird and they make strange noises. But then when there's actual death, the, the servants of the king of death actually pull them out. They, they pull the king out of the city. They drag him out of the city. Hmm. So that's kind of like Yama Raja Madhuta. They have to take the mind out of the body because the mind is just, even when the body is, the, the city was wrecked, it was burnt, it was destroyed by the war, but he still wanted to stay in it. Hmm. And it's the same way, like when a person is dying, the the mind is so habituated to being in that body that even though it's a piece of junk now, it still doesn't want to leave, and it still has it, to it tries have somebody, to hold on. Yeah, it has to have somebody help it get out. Yeah, and then he becomes a princess in his next life. He becomes Vidarbi in his next life, and he marries somebody named Maliyadwaj, and then they become yogis. And then, so th that story is just like, that's another example of just like a gem mm. that's hidden in there. Mm. Every story, every story is just so good. But, but you know, this is the first time that I've uh, heard the mention of a dragon in one of our Vedic stories. I'm never... No, that's Nagas. You know, uh, Nagas are dragons. The Western, the Western mythology just is just, if you export Vedic, Vedic mythology or concept over the world, Hmm. Of course, it's going to mix with like, it's going to mix with whatever was there before, and the pronunciations are going to change, and uh, maybe some of the visuals will change, maybe some of the details will change. But basically, you get Indra, you get Zeus, hmm. you know. Um, so you get Nagas, 
you get dragons from the concept of nagas. Nagas are these divine serpents hmm. who have tons of money. They have, they have all the jewels, luxuries, they have tons of gems. Yeah. They have powers. They're magical. They have incredible poison. There's, there's some, all the dragons do different things. Tarkshika has poison. Adishesh has fire. Hmm. So and they and they exist, right? Just like in a different dimension, basically. They exist, but yeah. Let's say again, it's like depending on your perception. Uh, the ex- reality is based on the perceiver, so they don't exist from for most people. Just, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that they're not there. It just means that it's not a part of most people's reality. Hmm. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, if you've got 10, 15 minutes more, I've got two questions for you. Sure. More. Is that all right? Yeah, I'm having a great time. Oh, thank you so much. I've, I'm so happy, honestly. I'm so su- super happy because um, up until now, like, you know, I've had um, a lot of different kinds of uh, conversations. Uh, most of them have happened organically. You know, I've come across somebody um, either very similar wavelength of mind or somebody very opposite. And we've just gotten together at the same time and just, you know, impromptu done something. Uh, this is one of the rare times where I've actually reached out to somebody that, you know, like I want to, um, I want to, because you have learned a lot. I think you've spent what, since 1988, you've been learning with the Vedic philosophy and then this and that. That is a whole different topic on which I would love to speak with you about. You know, today we are doing astrology. So uh, within astrology now, uh, I've got a couple more questions. One is that this, since we just spoke about, you know, the kings and we spoke about dragons and we spoke about like there are different, um, there are so many different kinds of creatures and entities in our, you know, Vedic stories. So there are the devtas, you know, there are deities, then there are the planets and they are all divine in their own nature, you know, to some extent or the other. What I did not understand uh, or like one confusion I have and I would love to, you know, hear of what you have to say on this is that what is the hierarchy between these people? Because for example, if you're reading a chart, all right, um, you've got, uh, let's say Saturn. So you can do things to appease Saturn, all right. But at the same time, you can do things to appease Lord Shiva, all right. And like this, whatever other things are there in our, uh, you know, Vedic school of thought, including at the human level, like you've got the Shudras, the Vaishyas, you've got the Brahmanas and you've got the Kshatriyas, which technically is not hierarchy. It's more to do with the Varnas, like the qualities or based on which you do your profession. But up, up from just a human being, everything else that exists, I've, I want to understand which is more superior. Like are the planets more superior than the gods? And the ultimate God is who, because if you're also coming from Krishna consciousness for you, it's Krishna. And, you know, I'm just guessing. And that uh, other ones are like demigods, like Lord Shiva or something like that. I don't know. I have some confusion, but I wanted to know. And I wanted to understand, like, what is the hierarchy based on our uh, Vedas or Puranas on, on all of these guys? Question. Yeah, yeah, I would probably to like re- to, to give you a more detailed an- answer than you probably want i would probably need to research it first but i can give you a basic yes please um first of all divinity is what reality is so there's nothing which is not divine everything is divine and then the base divinity what, what is divinity divinity is 
consciousness itself, the awareness of ex- it, consciousness is existence and the awareness of existence. That's God. So consciousness is the original divinity. That's what Brahman is. Brahman is the basis of all existence. That's the original divinity. Now, what does consciousness do? It's conscious of stuff. That's what it does. So consciousness aware of ex- itself. Yeah, actually, it would have to be aware of itself. And but itself. Okay, so consciousness is aware of itself. So that's its act. Consciousness has an act of being aware. So that explains everything, really, about why there is a, a, an existence and why there's red and blue and yellow and not just white. Why is there salty, sweet, and everything, and not just uh, not just sweet? Why is there a whole bunch of different flavors? Why are there a whole bunch of different colors? Why are there a whole bunch of different things? It's because the experience has to be interesting. So consciousness is actually seeking experience that's interesting. So it's also manifesting itself to be experienced in interesting ways. So this also this is true this is truly what Krishna is. Krishna is really the consciousness experiencing itself in very interesting ways, manifesting something to be aware of, a way to be aware of it, and a person to be aware of it. So that's really what the ultimate divinity is, is just consciousness experiencing itself. But this produces everything. But most of the time, we don't have anything to do with this. Like We exist in a separate reality, which is not aware of this at all. Like We're not directly interacting with this. So we have this alternate reality which is where, see, basically, you and I and everything that exists is supposed to be part of what consciousness experiences. But we are stuck in just the Maya aspect of it? The Maya aspect is is where you think, I'm not the thing which gets experienced, I'm the thing which experiences. Hmm, oh, okay. So the 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 cause of thinking that way is just to not be aware of the because you are an experiencer also because that's the interesting part is it really that you know there's there's sex dolls and then there's real sex sex dolls might be exciting but they're not really that exciting compared to real sex so that that is how brahman works he's not going to just make objects he's not just going to make robots he's not just going to make things he's going to make beings that you that he can interact with not just toys he's going to make beings so we are just as godly as god is because that's interesting Mm. for him for god he doesn't just want to make peons and subjects he wants to make people that are on his level. He wants to make peers. He wants to make things to interact with. So it is reasonable for us to think that we are the God, We are that we are the experiencer Create, of reality. Yeah. yeah. So, and he also is very generous. Like he doesn't say, no, you're wrong, stop. 
once because that wouldn't be interesting then he would be taking control and we would lose our auto, auto, autonomy right so he's saying it's part of his deal it's part of his motive up modus operandi is that he wants to, all of the things that he manifests to have autonomy and some of them are ignoring him then that's okay and he facilitates us so he creates this like alternate reality where we can feel like we are the experiencer and everything that exists is ours to be experienced in this world this world has to be governed you know it has to be yeah it has to be governed and supervised and superintended so all of the, the gods and so forth are, are the different entities and principles that are doing that governing um so that begins with you know just the original male coming in contact with the original female and that's the prakriti purusha and then that manifests shiva and vishnu and then that manifests brahma and then brahma he says i need a lot of help so he actually engineers all these sages and then the, from the sages the the gods are born from the sages the gods are born from the sages the gods are born the sages are human form right no they're not really humans humans are an interesting thing i mean humans are technically a descendant from manu okay the first man basically. yeah yeah so yeah. Swa- okay. the first manu is is swayambhuva manu brahma directly makes this being and he makes shatarupi the first woman okay. shatarupini and and swayambhuva manu they're the first male and women and the thing that makes humans human is that they are the first thing that brahma made that were able to do sexual reproduction hmm. previous to that everybody had to do reproduction by engineering hmm. and mechanics but with humans and it was because of shatarupini she she's called shatarupini because she could change the, the her genetics okay so from her she could modify her genetics so that they could have many kids otherwise how do you get a, a non-retarded population from one man and one woman you're going to yeah. get it's incest and you're going to get incredible retardation and all kinds of handicaps and everything going on yeah. but it's because shatarupini had this mystic power that wow. to take hundreds of forms shatarupini that manu could manifest a, a large enough gene pool that they could manifest humanity from that so human humanity is like another type of a god because it's created from something that Brahma created. Hmm. But Manu, Manu and Shatarupani, they're not exactly humans. They're like God, the God of humans, the God and goddess of humans. And, and humans are like their children. So that's one basic hierarchy. And this is why also it's a kind of a, it's an earth shattering thing, but the Vedic paradigm is that sages are more powerful than gods. Hmm. This is why actually when, Chandra cursed. Oh, who did she? He cursed Aditi. Yeah, and then Mark and Dea was born. He cursed her to have a still to have a miscarriage because she because she, when she was pregnant she didn't fulfill her duty to a guest or something like that. Hmm. And then when her husband returned home, I forget the name of the husband. Maybe been Kashyap. When he returned home and she's crying, he asked what what happened, and she said, "We lost our child because Chandra cursed me." He said, "Don't even worry. He's just a god. 
I'm a sage. I'll reverse the curse. <laughs> mm. So he reversed the curse and the child came back to life. And that's why he's called Markunde from the egg that was dead. He was born oh. from the death. Martanda, Martanda. Martanda was his first. Martanda. 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 Uh, just uh, just a side note question how long did it take you to get your pronunciation of all these sanskrit oriented names right coming from american english <laughs> like the pronunciation yeah in the beginning i'm sure you must have had some uh, tough time like trying to understand these uh, names and words and everything oh yeah how long did it take <laughs> i don't know when you i don't know that was my thing when i was a kid i used to read lord of the rings and my favorite part of lord of the rings was the appendix because mm. he there Tolkien explained elvish language and he mm. had this like table of all the characters it's he just ripped it off straight from sanskrit mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i was just like fascinated with that stuff when i was a kid so actually the first time that i got a bhagavad gita the first thing i just did was like get out the devanagari table and like memorize it and just wow. like uh get into the sanskrit it's just like my thing i, wow. I like language language to me is like natural candy yeah i like i really yeah. like language i like Okay, sorry, it's like please bread. go on uh, with that Matananda then being born. Yeah, so that is one of the amazing things about Vedic culture is that the gods are the guys who are in charge of the world, but the sages are the people that actually know how the world works. Okay. So the sages can actually correct the gods and they can undo the gods and they actually have more power than the gods. But just like you noticed with Brahmanas, real, real and not real, the real mark of a sage is that they're not really business motivated. Hmm. So they don't really care like whether the thing comes out this way or that way, they're fine with it either way. So they don't participate, like they don't interfere with the gods. The gods do their thing, the sages do their thing, but if necessary, the sages sometimes take the reins. There's another funny story where Indra was trying to keep the Ashwinis from getting Amrita. And there was one, I think it was Daddyansha or maybe somebody else that was on Ashwini's side. And then Indra's, Indra came to like punish them. Uh, he, he, taught the, he taught the Ashwinis how to make medicine, which is basically how to make Amrita. Hmm. And then Indra got upset. I'm maybe mixing up stories, but there's this one other story where one of the sages just picked up his pinky like this. When Indra was going to kill somebody with a thunderbolt, and the sage just went like this, and then Indra's hand got paralyzed. <laughs> he couldn't move his, he couldn't throw the bolt. And then he just looks at Indra with his finger like this, and he says, "You better put that down. <laughs> These guys did nothing wrong." <laughs> Whoa! And then he put his pinky down, and Indra put down his thunderbolt. And then he like corrected Indra. Wow. Yeah, and there's also an interesting divide, also. The sages, they favor Ahimsa very much. Hmm. But the gods, sometimes they get really into power and they get violent and they get to war. They're always involved with war and they like sacrifices. They like animal sacrifices. The sages, they dislike that. So there's yeah, also this... Even, even uh, I, I know some Hindu gods uh, like animal sacrifices, but not on the whole, right? Not... Not on the it's, it depends on how, who you talk to about this. You get different interesting perspectives. Some will tolerate it. 
some, I would say some tolerated because gods are kind and they cater to people. Hmm. They, they take care of people. So for example, you know, a lot of people want to eat meat. So there, some gods will be kind to that and, and cater to that person. Okay, offer me a goat. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice a goat to me and then you can eat it. Hmm. It doesn't so, really mean that this god was really wanting your goat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but since this god is trying to be helpful to you. Hmm. So getting the hierarchy right, you're saying in the beginning, there's just Prakriti and Purush. Yeah. Okay. And from them came Brahma and Vishnu. And what, what you can understand about Prakriti Purusha is this is consciousness. The Purusha is the experiencer consciousness and Prakriti is the experienced Experienced. consciousness. Right. Yeah. 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 And then the act of union is, is the action of consciousness. And then that produces, that produces really, then this creates a a manifestation of Vishnu. Uh, Right. Technically. But there's a Shiva, there's a Shiva who's also, there's Shiva who's already existing who's called Sadashiva. But the way that Shiva avatars into the world is through Brahma. But it doesn't mean that he's lower in hierarchy to Brahma. Yeah, I saw in one of your videos uh, where he's one of Brahma's sons. Like, yeah, uh, Sh- came Shiva from was his, created from the four Another life. amazing story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's like an avatar. So it's like also Varaha came out of Brahma's nose, but that doesn't mean that Vishnu, I mean, Varaha is a Vishnu avatar. It doesn't mean that Vishnu mm. is Brahma's son. Either Brahma was born from Vishnu's abdomen. Mm. It's just so, symbology. Well, it's not just symbolism, but like I can walk in this room from my door, hmm. but the door is not my mom. My mom is my mom. The door is the way that I came into this room, but my mom hmm. is the way that I came into the world. So similarly, like just because an avatar appears through a certain person, like Krishna is born to Yashoda, it doesn't mean that Yashoda is not manifested from Krishna. Hmm. This is another riddle. Like in the old days, in the older Vedic scriptures, they do this riddle with Aditi and Daksha. That Aditi is Daksha's daughter, but she's also Daksha's mother. It's one of the riddles that they they teach mm. to show that kind of thing. Hmm. <laughs> so you've got uh, Prakriti Purusha, the experiencer and the experienced, which is yeah. as similar to today like a woman and or a female having her full experience of femininity would be via a man so that she can turn into a mother basically and yeah yeah the experience and the experience to come together so that's amazing and then we've got brahma and vishnu and then after that we've got the sages and after that we've got the gods correct okay. and then after the gods you get these other kind of you get gods of various caliber like Asuras and Yakshas or all of that stuff? Yeah, or even like Gandharvas. Gandharvas are also gods, but they're just very simple gods. Mm. They're not really in charge of that much. Mm. They're mostly just, well, they're in charge of music and stuff, you know, dance. So, so, so these gods, like which are below the sages, above the sages, we've got Brahma, Vishnu, Mahesh, basically. Who are not gods, right? They're not gods. These are like yeah. the founders of, the, of reality. Yeah. And then, uh, so, so for example, the gods which are there uh, for, uh, like, of the nakshatras, like how Purvashara has uh, Apas, you know, the deity right. of uh, water. 
so they would fit below the sages basically yeah. all of them okay okay but nobody really worships the sages right yeah yeah because what do you do with the say how do you worship a sage you learn from them you read the book so actually reading the vedas studying the veda that's how we worship the sages hmm. Hmm. But with gods you worship the gods you do some kind of an action you do some kind of a ritual you do some kind of a sacrifice or a ceremony and and just on a side note since you mentioned that it's about uh, learning, like praying to a sage or worshiping a sage is more about learning from them. So in today's times, like our ancient texts, a lot of them have been kind of corrupted or, you know, translated into a bunch of different versions. And so which is an authentic source, like how for the Gita, you have uh, Prabhupada's Gita, that particular version, I believe. Um, so where can somebody like, what are the authentic sources from where on the internet? one can take out the you know vedic texts for this i think it's very important to know sanskrit hmm. yeah this is one of the motivators i think for me for to become familiar with sanskrit was so that i could actually not deal with x person's version of it but to see what it really is and then sanskrit itself has some built-in um checksums like in programming there's these checksums Sanskrit, the language, has these built-in things that let you know if it's been corrupted or not. Mm. This is this oh, is okay. yeah. This wow. is why the it's sages like Bitcoin. <laughs> they did they, they why did they go and they did invent meters? Why did they yeah. why is the Veda in these meters and it has to have a certain number of syllables and this it's so yeah. that you know like you cannot change this word to this other word. It's you're very limited, and I, when I, for example, read the astrology texts like Paul Deepika, they haven't been well maintained. Mm. There's, there's just very um, innocent mistakes in there, just like typographical errors and stuff, because they ha there hasn't been a lot of scholarly attention to them. They haven't been well maintained, but I can mm. always see like there's something wrong with this line mm -hmm. because it doesn't have the right number of syllables, or it, this syllable is supposed to be guru and it's lagu. It was supposed to be a long syllable, but it's a short syllable. Mm. But this guy is a good poet. He wouldn't have written it like this. Mm. This must mm. have been changed. I wonder what it could have been originally. Mm. So Sanskrit is great in that way. No, so knowing Sanskrit would be the medium, but where, what is the source from where one can acquire the texts like the Bhagavatam or, you know, other uh, Rig Vedic texts or this or that? Because, I mean, they don't have a website like rigveda.com. I don't know. There is a, there's a website. Again, it's just so risky. Like it does just because you, if I give somebody a diamond, it doesn't mean that they're going to be able to make a, a great ring out of it. So even if you get an authentic text or an authentic source, it doesn't really, that's not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. But the ISKCON actually has this great um, online uh, resource called the Vedabase, V-E-D-A-B-A-S-E, vedabase.com. You're going to get all of the founder of ISKCON's commentary with all of that, but you're also going to get all of the Sanskrit for for everything hmm. and the really great thing that they did was the way that they went about translating sanskrit was they they had a step in between the sanskrit and the english this is what really helped me learn it actually hmm. they had a step between sanskrit and english where they would they would break it down like that they wouldn't just translate it into english they would say means the person who has a body asmin means here 
gata means like that so they, they have this paragraph in between the sanskrit and the english where they trans you know they do the mm. word for word mm. Mm. and that's online it's on database dot something if you probably just google database you'll see it mm-hmm. i use that it's good enough it's more it's great i mean you have access and it's to and it's, sanskrit it's un- uncorrupted uncorrupted yeah it, it, the thing is if you're going this this is also the purpose of parampara is to make sure that things are not corrupted. Hmm. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be a mistake or an error here or there, but it's not going to be something that changes the meaning, you know. Hmm 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 hmm. You mentioned this uh, uh, this shloka or whatever started with dehini, which meant yeah. human body. So I also recently came across this um, concept of uh, deham, koham, and soham where uh, deham means that physical limited uh, identity koham means that identity amongst other identities you know playing around something like that and then soham is that we are all just one there is no identity it's dissolution of you know the boundaries which we have so that was also something uh, good to learn i'll come to my final uh, you know questions which i have for you and i'm sorry if i've taken your uh, time no no i'm happy but um, so what i wanted to ask was basically uh there are two questions both related to astrology only uh to finish off with and uh they are to do with one how has astrology uh, this is without giving any personal details how has astrology helped you over the years either become a better person or plan your life better or save yourself from hard times or like manage them better or whatever you know without sharing anything personal but since you've spent so many years in it uh what has it uh done yeah. for you two ways i would say two ways it really helped me understand other people like before before i really learned astrology i i didn't know this at the time but before before i understood astrology i kind of thought that everybody else in the world should, should be like me like should think the same way that i think should think that the same things are right or wrong or good or bad it should feel should like you know i i like it you should like it after i learned astrology i just all of a sudden it became real to me tangible to me it's not just an idea that i heard somebody talk about in a motivational speech but that they're everybody's different and i could I, after i learned like mars has this subset of things that it is into and venus has this subset of things and jupiter this then i could realize that there's a jupiter type of person and there's a saturn kind of person and the saturn kind of person likes to operate in this way and if you talk to them they'll see things in this way and that's their world and it's okay and this other jupiter person they're totally different and that's them and it's okay it's okay for people to be completely different from each other that sunk into me in a real way after I learned astrology. Whereas before it, I, it was just something, of course I would say it, you know, but I didn't feel it or I didn't see it. And then the other way that astrology helped me was myself. Just to, especially to admit that I had problems. <laughs> <laughs> because previous to this, I would always think, you know, I think that, you know, my wife is wrong. I don't have that problem or my, my, this friend, that's not my friend anymore. What's wrong with this guy? I don't have problems, 
But when I looked at the astrology chart, I was like, hmm, that is kind of a problem. I have to admit that if I saw this in somebody else's chart, I would think, and this guy's got a problem with this. Mm-hmm. So it helped me kind of realize like, you know, and and it's the same, and it's almost the same thing as the other thing I mentioned. Like it's a, somebody is like this kind of person and it's okay. Like, you know, it's okay to have flaws. This was, maybe this is the third thing too I realized with astrology is I've never seen a perfect chart. Even if you show me Krishna's chart, there's something wrong with it. Hmm. So there's like, it's okay to like have something wrong with you. And in fact, but that's part of what makes us us. Hmm. And, the, and the interesting thing about who we are is how do you cope with that? How do you deal with it? What do you do with your weaknesses? That makes you that. So this is also what I was trying to say about Saturn is not necessarily bad. Part of what makes a great person great is how that person copes with their problems. It's not just that, oh, this guy has no problems. Yay. There's no such person like that. Hmm. Everybody has problems. Everybody has flaws. Everybody has mistakes, makes mistakes, terrible mistakes. Like hmm. my mistakes that I make, I make over and over and over again. <laughs> I make them with really important people that I shouldn't. You know, I shouldn't be hurting these people. Yeah. But also, like, I'm not going to kill myself for it. I'm not going to hate myself for it. I'm just going to, like, astrology helped me see, like, all right, that's my destiny. This is what I have to deal with. And these people, they're my children. They're my wife. They have to, they must be their destiny too. They got to deal with it. Let's say, you know, they got to deal with you being a piece of shit sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, we all have to deal with this and we all have to, it can be a good thing. The, the mm. effort to like deal with that, the effort to mm. deal with it can is also just as a, much of a good thing as the opportunity to like have great stuff. Mm. Because that's where the growth and the expansion actually happens, right? In the yeah. opportunity to deal with that. Obviously, sometimes like situations are like very, very heartbreaking and like very, very like I'm sure you've had some, you know, tough times in, in your life and stuff. So at that time, by by the way, did you try any of like the astrological remedies and stuff? Like in India, they make you wear these rings or, you know, make you give you a mantra which you chant and stuff like that. So have you ever done any of the remedies for yourself and do they actually work? They will work. I remember one, actually, I had one remedy that worked really well. And this was, I would recommend this to everybody is just go seva, go seva. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember there's a time when financial, the financial world was very, very stressful for me. Hmm. Um, Like I would just stress out if I could pay the bills, how would I, working, working is not difficult when you're a weird person. I mean, working is not easy when you're weird, you know? Yeah. Um, So there was a time in my life when I was really stressed and my friend said, you know, I was going through that time too. And then I started donating to the Goshala. Hmm. And now it's fine. I have no, no financial words. And I did it. And it's so true. It just Mm. worked. I don't know if it's going to work for somebody else, but it worked for me. Um, So yeah, I did that. That was one thing that I did. Also, I'm inclined to do that because I I think that proper upaya should be good karma. Mm. It's I don't think really that Upaya is really like buying a sapphire mm. and, and wearing it on the correct finger. Maybe that is something that works for some people, but from my background, what I'm more interested in is good actions produce good results rather than the mystical stuff. Good actions produce good results. So of course, like donating to a ghost child would, would generate good karma. 
hmm. or taking you know giving charity to a good organization would generate good karma it you should do that people should do these good deeds hmm. but they should do them as usual anyway you know yeah I think so, so 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 that is one thing but uh, how i asked you this question what perspective is that for example these are the things which are within your hands all right these are in your hands your actions going forward but there are things which are outside of your hands such as let's say if your um, sade sati is there you know or if uh, rahu mahadasha is there or all of those kind of things which are there so to reduce the impact of all of those things at that times also do the remedies and all work and should people actually try them out no it's because i was blessed by i was blessed to have a good guru mm. so i didn't have this problem i i, I didn't have this problem I'm not as, uh, yeah what was i going to i can't even remember what i was going to say maybe i'm blocked from saying it but <laughs> yeah i just i'd never had that problem Mm. I don't want to reduce the impact of Rahu. Mm. I think this is ignorance. Why should I reduce the impact of Rahu? Is Rahu Satan? Is Rahu the devil? Is mm. there such a thing as the devil or Satan? That's a Christian story. But is this part of the Vedas that there's this bad guy? There isn't. They're all good guys. Mm. So why would I want to reduce Rahu's impact on me? That's like the kid who is trying to run away from their parents because the, they did something wrong and the parents are going to get mad at them and punish mm. them. I mean, no, just sit there and let your parent correct you. Mm. Why, why like run away from your parents' correction? That's is the blessing of having a parent is that the parent corrects us. So mm. I, I never, because I got good knowledge because by good fortune, I got good knowledge. So I never felt like I don't, I need a remedy so that this bad planet in my chart gets less bad. And the other mm. thing is that I, I feel like I already know what the remedies are. The ultimate, the ultimate cause of all problem is avidya. Ignorance is the ultimate cause of all problems. So I don't need some, I'm like, I'm not like looking around for a specific remedy that I need to do this puja on this day for this thing. You mean avidya, right? Avidya, avidya, oh. no vidya, lack of vidya. Yeah. yeah. Ignorance. So I just feel like, you know, if I studied the Bhagavatam, if I, yeah, basically if I studied the Bhagavatam and meditate on it, then I'm removing, removing my avidya, avidya, I'm removing my avidya. So that's going to be good. That's my upaya for everything. Hmm. Like, and, and maybe that sounds like hocus pocus to some people, but in other words, to put it in a less hocus pocus way, if my knowledge of myself and my knowledge of the world is improving, then automatically my experience is going to improve. Mm. So I, although I'm not saying that I disbelieve in the various rituals and methods of, you know, remedies and so forth, I never felt like I needed them. And also I never like really stress it to clients, but I will, but I like to do interesting therapeutic things, you know, like one thing that I think is really beautiful with astrology is it's really, uh, therapeutical goldmine so for example like if i see a, a person and they're complaining that they have a problem like say with depression with saturn then i because of knowing astrology i have i know that saturn is connected with so many other things besides the specific problem that they're having so you can help the person have a therapy where they can 
expose themselves to the other things about Saturn that won't terrify them right away or aren't the things that they think that they're having a problem with. And the way that the psyche works is the exposure to any aspect of Saturn will, the exposure to any aspect of Saturn will improve your relation with every aspect of Saturn. So like, that's why sometimes somebody will say, well, okay, wear black. Hmm. Or wear but red isn't or something. black not uh, Saturn's color? Isn't it a very dark blue? Yeah, it is actually very dark blue. Yeah. But, you know, blue black or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It will it will cross over into black because that's Saturn's nature is super depressive, you know, or super dark. Hmm. So black will also work with Saturn. So sometimes I'll do that for people. And also the person will impress me in a different way. Like some people will really benefit from 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 having a thing. Okay, wake up at 730, chant this five times while facing this direction and, you know, put light this up and move it in a circle seven times and do that three times a day. Some people will really benefit from that. And you can tell from the person. So, I, you know, I've done that. I've, I've told people, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And that helps certain people. But it's not my thing. Hmm. Hmm. So when uh, people are basically like asking astrologers like a specific question, you know, because mostly people uh, come to astrology, even me, for example, in certain situations, when, uh, you know, we are desperate for a solution or we, you know, want to figure out uh, that like this, when I was looking for a job and I was like, but this is where I want to go. Why are you saying it's there? What, why can't I? So like, to what uh, extent should they take like the advice of an astrologer into account, a regular human being, you know, who's um, uh, trying out astrology, for example, has no experience with it. To what extent uh, should they bank on the advice given by an astrologer or whatever? And I know it's a very subjective question. It'll be different for who the astrologer yeah. is and this and that. But if, for example, we suppose that it's proper sound uh, astrology and here's a person who's you know uh, gone for it uh, to what extent should they because a lot of times this becomes like a uh, it, it becomes uh, it biases them for example or you know it uh, it makes them think that okay this is the only future outcome there's no other thing possible so to what extent should they uh, account for that I would want to say I would want to say a hundred percent but I would want the person to realize what kind of what astrology is. So I would say astrology is like a is spongy, it's not bricky. Hmm. So if you just realize that the information that you're getting from astrologer is not really like a brick, or a stone or a piece of metal, but it's like some maybe it's like even liquid, hmm. then you can bank on it 100%. So, you know, the astrologer may say you'll get your job in the north. So now, if you bank on that a hundred percent, you know you're good. You can maybe it's the north of the city where you were looking from. Maybe it's the north from when you look out your window. Maybe it's the North mm. Pole. Maybe it's you know, <laughs> the astrologer only can really see that it's from the north. Mm. But if so, sometimes if you just limit yourself to exactly what the astrologer said, thinking I want to be 100% faithful, you might actually just be misunderstanding the nature of astrology itself, that it's not bricky, it's spongy. Mm. Mm. So I think people should be encouraged to always remember that it's Prakriti and Purusha. 
that make the reality. It's not just a purusha. Hmm. So in other words, you have to interact. The prakriti and purusha have to interact. So you have to interact with the knowledge. It's not just like somebody can tell you an answer and then you just stick it onto your head and then you you're successful. Hmm. Um, so you know you this an astrologer or whoever gives you some guidance or information about your life and you have to st- apply anuman to it. You have to digest it. What exactly does it mean? How is it going to come true? Then I think it's safe to say have a hundred percent trust in it, assuming that you know you actually your trust is well founded in a per, in the the reading was done well, etc. Hmm, 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 hmm. That's fantastic, actually. Um, I I wish I myself could also start learning this. You know, I, it's such an interesting subject. Like it's. It feels like it's got uh, so many hidden mysteries about the world and about people, you know, uh, wrapped up within it. It's it's really really beautiful. Um, anything you would like to ask me? Like I, these were the questions which I had. Obviously, I have way more after listening to you know a whole bunch of things. But maybe once in the future we'll do something around Vedic philosophy or you know the Vedas That'll and stuff great. like that. Yeah, I would love that, and I would be uh, so thankful for that. But this itself is um, amazing because, uh, as usual, like it wasn't just like your videos. They're not just about astrology. They're about life. They're about everything. So anything you want to ask or share or anything? No. No, just I want to say thank you. And uh, yeah, just thank you like person to person. It was not just thank you for like giving me the opportunity to blah, blah, blah. But thanks. Yeah, yeah. It was like a very nice conversation. I, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's it's like rare when you find somebody that wants to talk about the things that I like to talk about. Yeah. So thank yeah. you. No, no, th- but thank you for you know giving both to those questions in my head. So that was amazing. Hope you enjoyed this lovely conversation. For more fascinating knowledge and lovely stories, head over to Wix YouTube channel. The link for that is given in the description of this podcast episode. Definitely drop him a thank you note in the comments of his YouTube channel for coming to this podcast and having a conversation with us. If you have any feedback and suggestion for us, please drop them in Sarad's Instagram comments. Thanks for listening.